for our edification, exhortation, and comfort of our souls. How many of y'all come from that background right there? Somebody was supposed to say, yes, sir. <laughs> you caught that. And so last week we looked at the dying sinner. We don't have time to do any review there. Today let's look at the dying saint. And let's go back into verses 40 through 42 for some insight. The dying saint, point number two, three crosses on the hill. The criminal hanging on the other cross rebuked the man saying, don't you fear God, you're about to die. We deserve to be condemned for just, we're just being repaid for what we've done. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said, I beg of you, my Lord Jesus, show me grace and take me with you into your everlasting kingdom. We know he's referring to eternal life because he uses the phrase everlasting kingdom. We have three points I want to look at. Letter A, let's look at his admission. Letter A is right in your outline. Let's look at his admission. The criminal hanging on the other cross rebuked the man saying, it's interesting, the one criminal is rebuking the other criminal. And he says to him, don't you fear God. I'm paraphrasing here. You're about to die. Wait a minute. We're all guilty. We're all getting exactly what we deserve. And I don't know about you all, but man, I'm so glad God didn't give me exactly what I deserve. Come on, anybody else out here thankful that you didn't get exactly what you deserved? So he makes this stunning confession. He says, wait a minute, we are guilty. We're getting exactly what we deserve. This admission reveals that this man was under conviction because of his own sinful deeds. Now, after last week's message, I was inboxed, and usually if one person asks a question, it usually represents about seven or eight other people. And the person was saying that they were condemned last week. The message made them feel condemned. Well, how many of you know the Holy Spirit was sent to convict the world of sin, but never to condemn? Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says uh, that those that are in, there is, there, not, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. But the Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of sin. But what can happen to a believer over time is that they lose the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, which moves them further away from God, and that conviction can eventually turn into condemnation. But it's never God condemning them. It's just the Holy Spirit trying to bring them back. Holy Spirit never condemns. He only convicts. Letter B, let's look at his assessment. And this really blessed me studying this. Let's look at his assessment. His assessment of the situation is vastly different from that of the other thief. The first man was looking for a way out, but this man was looking for a way in. When he first nailed Jesus, when they first nailed Jesus to the cross, though, I picked up on something. He lifted up his voice and he mocked Jesus too. And so a lot of times in interpreting scripture, you'll find that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all saw the same event, but they recorded it differently. 
because we're not all wired the same way. And so they recorded it the way they saw it. None of them are lying. It, lying. They're just recording it the way they saw it. If we all saw an event happen in this room and they asked four of us to write about it, I mean, you get four different versions of the same story. You take the four different versions and you probably have most of the whole truth. Right? And so I want to show you something. You don't see what I'm getting ready to show you in Luke's account, but I want to show you this in Mark's account. It may not be in your outline. Go to Mark's account, chapter 15, verse 32, and I'll read out of the New King James, New King James Version. So notice this man, his assessment, even though when uh, Jesus was first nailed to the cross, he was also lifting up his voice and mocking Jesus too. Mark 15, 32 says, Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from that cross that we may see and believe. Watch this now. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him, which would include the dying saint. But I believe something happened to that man during those early hours of the cro on that cross. Something caught his attention, and as he watched each event after each event after each event, I believe his heart began to soften, and he no longer saw Jesus the way everyone else saw him, he began to see that this was not some ordinary man. Now, this is not in your outline. I was just intrigued by this and decided to take a deeper dive to try to understand maybe what was he witnessing that caused his heart to be softened. How I many you know anytime we are presented with truth, our heart is either going to become hard or our heart is going to become soft. The dying sinner hardened his heart. But the dying saint, his heart is becoming soft. And let's try to go backwards to go forwards to maybe try to understand what was softening his heart. You know, perhaps it was his silence as they nailed Jesus to the cross. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7. Perhaps it was his silence. And I love Isaiah's description of this moment here. Maybe it was that silence that made this man ponder in his heart that this cannot be an ordinary man. Isaiah writes it this way. He says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. How many of you know that is not us? If you oppress us and you afflict us, you're getting ready to get something back out of us from our mouths. How many of you know that's human nature right there? But this man, Jesus, opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And I've learned over time, folks, you don't have to answer every person for every situation that happens in your life. Sometimes you just got to let the righteous judge who knows all things judge it on your behalf and let God settle the score at the end of the day. I believe that this man was impressed by the fact that even though Jesus is being oppressed, he's being afflicted, he chose not to put his mouth on people, he chose not to talk about people, he chose not to do anything but stay silent. Over time, maturity will bring you to a place where you don't have to try to defend yourself or put your mouth on anybody else. You know that God will settle the score and get every Everything right in the end. I believe that impressed that dying saint there. Or perhaps it was the grace with which Jesus responded to the mockery of his enemies. Let's go to Luke's account. Let's look at Luke 23, 34. We're going to look at the A portion of that text. Luke 23, 34. And we're going to look at the grace with which Jesus responded to the mockery of his enemies. How I many know we all have enemies? 
right? I don't care who you are, everyone doesn't like you. I know we all want everyone to like us, but it's just not realistic, right? And so maybe it was the grace by which Jesus responded that impressed this man. Notice in Luke's account of this 2334, the A portion, then Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And folks, you've got to understand, a lot of times when your enemies are mocking you, when people are talking about you, they don't know what it is that they're doing. And they are demonstrating that they are in need of a savior. And so the worst thing you can do is begin to mock them back and to ridicule them back and to talk about them back. Notice the position that Jesus took. He took it to the Father and he decided to pray. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And he prayed that prayer over and over and over again. Every time they did him wrong, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Folks, your enemies don't know what they're doing, but it's your silence and your prayers for them that that will cause them to have a day of visitation where an angel will stop by their house and they will remember how bad they treated you but how good you treated them in response and they will have their day of visitation and they will come to know the Lord as their personal Lord and Savior because you decided to pray for them and not talk about them. I believe that impressed that dying saint. Or maybe it was the mocking as they hung that sign on the cross and proclaimed him as the king of the Jews. Let's look at verse 38 in Luke's account, verse 23. And it says, and an inscription also was written over him in the letters in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, or Aramaic. This is the king of the Jews. Folks, it could have been a number of things that spoke to his heart. But whatever it was, he came to the place where he realized this is no ordinary man. Can anyone recall that moment, that day, that time, that hour in your life when you came to that place and you said, you know what? This is not some ordinary man. This is Jesus, the son of the living God, and I need him in my life. Does anybody remember that moment in that day when that revelation hit your life? And I don't know about you, but that was the best day of my life and continues to be the best day of my life. And it is the day that I am the most thankful for. If you're thankful for knowing that that was not an ordinary man, can you just lift up your hands and open up your mouth? And can you thank the Father for introducing you to our Savior, Jesus Christ? Let's look at this man's appeal, this dying saint's appeal on that cross. This just blessed my soul as I studied this. This man speaks to Jesus and he makes an incredible request. He asked another dying man for hope for the future. You've got to understand, he's on the cross just like Jesus. And he's asking another dying man who in the natural and on the surface is going through the exact same thing that he's going through. And he asked him for hope for his future. Folks, it takes faith to walk by faith and not by sight. Everyone else, for the most part, what they saw was a dying victim of the Roman system. They saw just another poor man hanging, battered, and bleeding on a cross. But this man looked at Jesus and saw God. Notice in verse 40, he said, don't you fear God? He literally rebuked the other dying sinner 
and he called Jesus God. How I many of y'all know things are being revealed to him on that cross? He looked at Jesus and saw perfect righteousness in verse 41. He says, we're being hung for what we've done wrong, but this man has done nothing wrong. He's declaring that this is the righteous Savior who has done no sin and done nothing wrong. And then I love this one right here. He looked at Jesus and saw one who was going to somehow conquer death, rise again, rule in power and glory, and extend grace to the undeserving in verse 42. Even being in the same situation, he was able to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, when you enter into your eternal kingdom, remember me. And Jesus had no problem telling him, this day you will be with me in paradise. I mean, oh, wise people are still looking to the Savior and asking him to remember them and to invite them to become and be a part of his eternal kingdom and his eternal salvation. Wise people today still ask him to invite or still ask God to invite him in. He looked at Jesus who was wearing that cruel crown of thrones and he saw Jesus, I believe, wearing three crowns. I believe this with all of my heart. He's wearing a cruel crown of thorns meant to mock him, causing blood to run down from his face. But this man, I believe, the Holy Spirit opened up his eyes and he saw deeper into the situation. Number one, three areas here. He placed Jesus on the throne of the universe by calling him Lord. That's why those songs today were two of the best songs we could have ever sung. Because we exalt him. We make him Lord over everything. Wise people still make him Lord over their finances. Lord over their relationships. Lord over their lives. Lord over their jobs. We exalt him and we make him Lord. He saw Jesus wearing a crown calling him Lord of the universe. Number two, he placed Jesus on the throne of his own heart by saying, remember me. Don't forget about me. How many of y'all know, folks, it doesn't matter when you get in. It could be at your last breath. It could be at your last moment. Doesn't matter when, as long as you get in. And I am glad, folks, I don't have to wait till my last breath. I'm glad I actually received him at a young age, 22 years of age, folks. I'm so glad that he remembered me and invited me in. And my life is so much the better as a result of it. Anybody else in here glad to just that he remembered? you and brought you in. Number three, he placed Jesus on the throne of David by saying, when thou comest into thy kingdom. I personally believe that this was someone who was raised around the scriptures. We all know people like this. And then an event happens in life and the scripture begins to to roll back up in them. There's no way he could say that unless he knew that the Messiah and the Savior would come through the lineage of David. There's no way he could know that unless he has some insight from the scriptures. And he said, when you enter into the throne of David or into your kingdom, remember me. How many of y'all know, folks, he knew that this was the one that was supposed to come. He had been taught it his whole life and it's just now hitting him right between the eyes that this is the one that I've been reading about. This is the one that they've been telling
telling me about. And now the revelation hits me, hits him. Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Folks, you cannot be saved unless God reveals to you that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. There's no way you can come to God unless the Holy Spirit draws you and you need your natural eyes lifted so that your spiritual eyes can see and know and understand that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Do I have any witnesses in here today that know and believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God? Can you help me make all hell, the devil, and all of his demons angry today? Come on, can we give him our best praise? Can we give glory and honor to our King of kings and Lord of lords? In my opinion, this man exhibited greater faith than anyone else in the entire Bible. He grasped the essence of who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing and what Jesus would do. This man was able to see into three different dimensions. He was able to see the past. He was able to see the present. And he was able to see the future all in one moment. And it takes faith to do that when you're on a cross and everybody else that's on crosses are in the same situation that you are in. He not only grasped it, but he believed it. He believed in spite of how impossible everything must have looked at the time. He believed and he walked by faith and not by sight. He believed that that wasn't the end, but that it was only the beginning. I came today to tell somebody and to encourage somebody's heart. You are not at the end of all things. You are at the beginning. Sometimes the best place you can be in life is when you are at the end of yourself and it looks like all hope is lost. It looks like if I don't, I don't know any other way I can get out of this. You're in a place in a position where if God does not do it, then it cannot get done. I came to tell you today that sometimes that is the best position to be in in life is when you've come to the end of yourself and you've gone to the Father and you said, Father, if you can't get this done, then it cannot get done. And God is able to come right in at that moment and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Folks, you are not going down. You are going up. You are not breaking down. You are on the verge and on the verge of breakthrough. What looks impossible to you is always possible with God. All things are possible to him that believes. That man was on a cross getting ready to breathe his last breath and he mustered up enough courage to say, Father, remember me. Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Folks, I'm telling you, if you'll muster up enough courage right now to say, Father God, get me out of this situation. Help me out of this situation. He will step right in and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. The Lord is on your side. There is nothing man can do unto you. If God before you then who can be against you nay in all of these things we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us and I wish I had five people in this room today that knew that Jesus Christ can deliver you from anything it takes faith to believe that you'll notice in your outline in your note this thief shows us where a person must come to if they ever expect to be saved. 
I want you to notice the three characteristics of saving faith that this man possessed. Three characteristics of saving faith that this man possessed on that cross. That man was important. He represents a lot of us who made a whole lot of mistakes. What we have in our life, we've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. It's just because of God's grace and his mercy and his love and his kindness that we are who we are. That's why you should never look down on other people because they may be the same people that you have to look up to on your way down. You've got to get to a place where you say, if it wasn't but for the grace of God, I could be in the exact same situation. <laughs> Folks, God has been good to you. You can sit there like a bump on the log if you want to, but there are people sitting in hospitals. There are people dying right now wishing they could be in the position that you are in right now. You ought to be thankful for that today. That man represents a lot of us. We've received a whole lot of what we never earned and what we deserve. We received it because God is good. There are three characteristics of saving faith this man possessed. Number one, he was honest about his own sins. He freely admitted that he was guilty. I remember when I first came to Christ, I had to tell God, God, I'm going to be an alcoholic because I think I have to drink in order to have fun. I need your help. I had to go to God. I'm a fornicator. I'm a whoremonger. I don't see women the way they deserve to be seen. I'm not treating them like your daughters in the universe. I'm a whoremonger and I need help. I had to go to God and say, I'm in these clubs acting a fool. I need help to get out of these clubs. The first step to overcoming anything is to admit that you have a problem. He was honest about his own sins, and he freely admitted that he was guilty. He said, we're up here getting what we deserved. Admitting that you are a sinner is the first step to coming into faith in Jesus. Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 10, the New King James Version. Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Folks, we all were lost at one point or another in our lives, and I'm so glad that I found Jesus. Come on, somebody. I'm so glad that I found Jesus. Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 17, says it this way, New King James Version. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Folks, you've got to get to a place where you realize you are not well and you need help. So often we put on our church face and we tell everybody that I'm blessed and highly favored and empowered to prosper. Come on, somebody. But the reality is we are sick and we need a physician. And we've got to know, folks, that it's okay to be sick. It's okay to not be well. You've got to come to grips with it. You need help. The reality is, folks, the first four years of pastoring this church, I was sick and I needed a physician. I had to go to God and say, God, I am hurting right now. I'm at the lowest point, one of the lowest points in my life. I need you to heal me, God. 
And you got to be okay with that. It's okay to not be okay. You've got to be able to go to people and say, I need prayer. I need help. I need somebody to pray for me. I need somebody to be there for me right now. It's okay to not be okay. He said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sometimes the worst thing we can do is act like everything is all right. When in reality, we know it's not all right. Life happens to all of us. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, keep living. But I won't leave you there, though. The weapon may form. But if you do what we're teaching you to do right now, it will not prosper. Come on, somebody. Do I have any witnesses out there? Come on, a whole lot of weapons can form. But they will not make progress. They will not win in the end. Somebody ought to slap the devil with a good hallelujah right there. It wasn't until I started admitting that I was sick that I started getting healed. Long as I acted like I was well, I was actually getting worse. I can remember somewhere around that third year, I went to the father and said, I'm, this, I'm sick. And if you don't heal me, it's not going to happen. And a lot of our sickness comes from what we project on other people. See, that was all me. It had nothing to do with other people. Let's keep going. First step to getting your sins taken care of is to admit the truth about them. Number two, he became convinced that Jesus was who he claimed to be. As long as Jesus is just another man, you will never be saved. But when you come to the place where you see him as God, Savior, Lord, and the fulfillment of all the promises of God, you can be saved. My whole saved life, people have challenged me. What if you do that your whole life and we get to the end and we're all in the same boat and he wasn't who he said he was? How many of y'all have ever heard that before? What if you go through all of that and it's not what you thought it was at the end? Well, let me tell you something, folks. I like to look at both sides of that. What if you go through all of it? What if you don't go through all of that and he was exactly who he said he was? Now, I'm not a gambling person, but if I had to choose one side or the other, let me tell you which side I'd rather be on. I'd rather be on the side that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Guess what? And even if I get to the end of that, I still lived a good, clean life. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. He became convinced that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10 and verse 13 says, But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I was one of those whosoevers that called upon the name of the Lord and he saved me, he delivered me. Come on, he made me whole, he prospered me, he healed my body, he's blessed my family. Come on, do I have any other witnesses in this place? Come on, he just didn't deliver me from hell, but he gave me a good life. Come on, he will save you to the uttermost. If you will allow him to. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, the Amplified. If you're watching online, I want to encourage somebody's heart today. You have not lived your best life yet. I promise you that. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God, you have not lived your best life yet. You have not even scratched the surface of all that God has prepared for you, prearranged for you. Come on, don't stop going after things, the things of God with everything that you have because you haven't even scratched the surface on what God has for you. For it is by grace, Ephesians chapter 10, 8 through 10, amplified. For it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor that is drawing you to Christ. There's somebody watching online, somebody sitting in this room right now. His favor is what's drawing you to him right now. Your heart is swelling on the inside because you, knows how, you know how much he loves you and what he wants to bring you out of. Deep down in your heart, you know the truth of the word of God. And he's wooing you right now. He's loving you you and he's bringing you in because he wants to favor your life and you know it you know it with all of your heart it says here for it is by grace God's remarkable compassion and favor that's drawing you to Christ that you have been saved actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith and this salvation is not of yourselves not through your own effort but it is the undeserved gracious gift of God Listen, there's nothing you need to do to earn this. You don't need to go back and try to clean up your life. You just need to come to him so he can clean it up for you. Come on, do I have any witnesses in here? Come on, you don't need to rehearse your past. You don't need to talk about what you did. The only thing you do with a gift is say thank you for giving me what I did not deserve. And then let God begin to, to set you on this course. I'm, I'm telling you today, you have not lived your best life. I don't care how good it is. You haven't even scratched the surface of the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Lord, open up their spiritual eyes. Show them their future right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You got to look beyond what you can see. Let God show you what you can't see. This blessed me so much. Not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law, so that no one will be able to boast or to make credit in any way for his salvation. For we are his workmanship, his own masterwork, a work of art. Come on, you don't give yourself enough credit. You are better than you give yourself credit for. You are a work of art. You are a masterpiece. You are created in the very image of God. 
You shouldn't let other people look down on you, and you certainly shouldn't look down on yourself. You are the best creation that God has ever made. Listen to this, folks. It'll take faith to receive this, but you are the best version of God himself that he could even make in the universe. It doesn't get any better than you because you are made in the image and likeness of God. Stop beating yourself up. Stop looking down on yourself. You are a work of art. You are a masterpiece, and you are on your way to doing big and mighty and great and wonderful things in the kingdom of God. For we are his workmanship, his own masterwork, a work of art created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed and ready to be used for what? For good works which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set so that we could walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. Folks, I told you, you have not lived your best life yet. I love something my pastor, Apostle Fred Price, said to me. He said, boy, if it's not good, it's not God. And he said, on that road, if you're not picking up good things, you're probably on the wrong road. And you need to get off that road and get on the right road. Do I have any witnesses in this place today? Come on, God has prearranged some good things for you. Good jobs, good careers, good relationships some debt freedom come on some healing some miracles signs wonders it's all on that road if you're not living or experiencing a good life today it's probably because you're on the wrong road how long are you going to stay there on that road before you realize I need to get back on the right road or get on the right road wake up Number three, and we'll close right here. We'll come on down the home stretch. He was willing to call on Jesus for what he needed in this life. He was willing to call on Jesus for what he needed in this life. God, I don't have a father. I need you to show me how to be a, a man. I had to go to God and ask him for that. I've never had an example in my life. Never seen a healthy relationship in my life. God, I need you to show me. And teach me how to be a man, first for myself, then for a future wife and children. If you'll call on Jesus for what you need, he will certainly give it to you. John 6, 37, the Passion Translation says, But everyone my Father has given to me, they will come, and all who come to me, I will embrace and will never turn them away. See, a lot of times people fear rejection. And it makes it difficult for them to come to Christ. Has nothing to do with Christ. It has everything to do with their past. Rejection from their father. Rejection from their mother. Rejection from a boyfriend. Rejection from a girlfriend. And what will end up happening over life, you can't trust anybody. And you start projecting on other people what people in your past did to you. And you no longer trust anything or anybody. And we don't even realize it subconsciously. Because of that, we can bring that right into the church. And we can have the same attitude. No, I don't want that because it's going to hurt me the way everything else in my life has hurt me. He's going to do me the way everybody. Folks, I'm here to God. 
I, Jesus just said it himself. If you come to him, he will in no wise cast you out and he will embrace you. He'll be the father that you never had. He'll be the mother that you never had. He'll be a husband and a wife to you. Whatever it is that you need, if you'll come to him today, he will not cast you out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I realize, folks, I can admit this today. Everything I was projecting on my previous pastor was because of the rejection of my natural father. And I was projecting on him something he could never be for me. Which is why it hurt so bad. And for me, it was necessary so that I could get to a place of maturity where I never put anybody on the throne but God. I place no faith and confidence in man, although I love man, all my faith and confidence is in God. And folks, you've got to get to a place where you know that you know that you know that you and God are a majority. Doesn't matter what everybody else says. Doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. Doesn't matter who's talking about you. Doesn't matter who's not talking about you. You've got to get to a place where you know if God is on your side, you cannot lose. Don't let past rejection stop you from coming to Christ today. He's got his arms wide open waiting to embrace you and be for you everything that your past wasn't. He wants to erase the memory of every rejection you've ever experienced if you'll let him today. Hallelujah. 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 If you don't get this, you cannot move forward in a healthy way. You're going to punish innocent people for the crimes of your past. Even if God sent a good situation, you wouldn't see it for fear that it's going to blow up on you. John 3.16, for this is how much God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten unique son as a gift. All you need to do is receive him today. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life or Zoe life or life the way God intended it to be. If you're sitting here today knowing that the life that you're living is not the life God intended for you, get off of that road and get on the right road. Far too many people know the truth. They know what they need to do. What they lack is acting on what they know to do by calling out to the Lord for their soul's salvation. He sent me here to tell you online and in this building, If you're calling, he will not cast you away, and he will embrace you. Let's all stand to our feet. See, a lot of times adult drama is childhood trauma that went unaddressed. And we bring all of that childhood trauma into our adult life, and it creates more drama. Saying if you come to him today, he'll heal you from all of that. Why don't you just go ahead and begin to worship the Father. Just lift your hands and begin to worship the Father. And I want to challenge everyone in this room today. And I want to challenge you online today. 
I want you to look me right in my eyes online. Everybody else continue to worship the Father. I want to challenge you today. Have you come to the place where you can see your sins? Or are you still acting like everything is good and I'm all right? Have you come to the place where you can see you instead of seeing everybody else? Do you understand that Jesus died for you on that cross and that he rose again from the, dead, from the grave? Do you understand that? Not somebody else, you. Do you understand that today? Do you grasp the truth that he will save you if you will repent from your sins and cry out to him? Is that truth to you today? Or are you like the dying sinner who hardened his heart and missed out on eternal salvation? Are you allowing the Spirit of God to soften your heart today and come to a place of repentance where you can cry out and call unto him to be the Savior and Lord of your life? A lot of people want to make him Savior. They want fire insurance, but they don't want him to be the Lord over their lives. If you haven't done that, then I want to encourage you today. Jesus will save you, but you have to ask him. You have to ask him to come into your heart. You have to acknowledge that you need him. You have to see where you're at and say, I need to be somewhere else. You have to discern the road that you're on and say, I need to get off of this road and get on the right road. And so now, while you're in that attitude of prayer today, I want everyone to look up here at me for a moment. I want to speak to your hearts. If you're in this building today, you've never...